here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey, lovers! I love love, and in my pastime, I also love tearing down the patriarchal social conditioning that inhibit us from realizing our fullest and most authentic expression of love, which is why today I have my dear friend Jessica Esfandiari here to share with us some amazing golden nuggets on non-traditional relationships so you are equipped to be able to create the most authentic and fully expressed relationship that is for you. (laughs) We get down into how to navigate conversations and biases of people who want to tell you that these types of relationships don't work because I know you've heard it. (laughs) It's everywhere. We also share about really important qualities to making these sustainable and healthy and uh, accessible for you. We talk about falling in love with people who are not our significant other and what is the best tips to thrive in this space, as well as raw and real stories about our own explorations and adventures and the insights that we've gained along the way. It's a really juicy one that truthfully can be applied to whatever style of love is authentically chosen by you and all of those involved. But before we get to Jessica, one of the things that really turns me on and is not traditionally known as sexual (laughs) is when someone reads poetry to me. Like imagine curling up in bed and nestled into someone's chest and they're just reading to you. Like that I fucking love. I love the sounds of the words coming out from the person's lips. I I love the cadence of their speech. I love the feeling of being cared for so lovingly. And I love being able to just relax back and take in the words as they are coming to in me and the visions that that's creating. And if this is a big turn on for you too, or you just love powerful words to contemplate and inspire you, then check out my book, Sex Love Yoga, now available on Amazon. Sex Love Yoga takes you on a reflective journey through the thoughts, the fears, the excitements, all that rule our decision-making process in life, sex, and love. Want to get your hands on a copy? The link is in the bio. Now to this epic human that I am so, I'm literally bouncing in my chair. I'm like, ah! There she is, <laughs> Jessica Espandieri, who is a facilitator and a coach of non-traditional relationships. She is the badass, hilarious host of the Open Late podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Kat. I'm very excited to be here too after, you know, a brief moment of stalking your life. <laughs> you know what? Truthfully, it was consensual because I kept emailing you like, bitch, I need you on my podcast. And, yeah. and it just, you know, we kept missing each other, but I think, you know, love always finds a way and here we are. Yes, yes, yes. I'm happy to be here. Real question, real talk. Okay. So your podcast is called open late, but behind you, you have the sign that says open late. It's a neon sign that says open late and it is not turned on. So that gives me the false impression that you are not open. 
<laughs> late. I'm so sorry. This is blasphemous. What was I doing? That shit needs to be on. There See, we there go. we go. All right. Now we are open. We are open at 10 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> it took me, I get I get warmed up and turned on at around 10 15 every day. Like uh-huh. once I have my coffee, I did just have an orgasm. So it takes like I'm, you know, I'm rolling. We got through three it. more minutes until okay. you're you're on. Yeah, got it. <laughs> so the you know, open late, turned on, open you know, uh store shop closed. <laughs> There's this type of conversation, you know, talking about non-traditional relationships, non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, polyamory. There's so many terms, mm-hmm. so many variations of how you conform your relationship. And so for me, as somebody who speaks very openly about this topic uh, in, in on podcasts, but also in the professional world, I can't tell you how many times people, therapists, coaches, lay persons will tell me these types of relationships do not work. Do you get that? A ton. And I'm like, do you see my almost 10 year relationship? That's like happy, healthy, and thriving. And all of the sort of either satellite relationships that I've had or relationships that have been a part of my marriage also. And I'm like, still even, you know, friends and lovers that like fall out of uh, a romantic situation. We're still very close and connected in our friendship. So it's wild. I'm like, wait, this is living proof, but people- But you're just, making it up, right? Yeah. You're, you're totally, totally making it up. <laughs> this is what, this is my big life's work is just this play, this 17 act play that I've been involved in. Um, but it's, I mean, people will, they believe what they want, not what is in front of them based on their own limiting beliefs and their own sort of like, you know, internal, I don't know, core values. So if Mm -hmm. it doesn't align with their value, it's like not possible. Right. Or there are even their reference points. I've, there's podcasts that people have sent me and been like, well, this psychotherapist or this psychologist says that those don't work, that they've never seen that work. And I was like, sure, if they aren't, if they've never experienced non-traditional relationships, or if they aren't trained to be advocates for non-traditional relationships, then they're not going to know the unique challenges that are possible or that might run into to be able to hold a, a container for the clients that they're seeing. Yeah, exactly. And, and if the clients that they've seen their entire, like, you know, career are only in monogamous containers, then they're going to look at these very, you know, monogamous sort of issues and things like divorce or separation and infidelity as like normal relationship things that they're going to work on. And they would never really see that as a failure because it's like inside of the norm of what they're, they think an expression is. And so Mm -hmm. this is just other and they can't both be successful. That's like (sighs) the biggest thing that I, I sort of see as it. I mean, not that it's black and white, but it's like just a completely different perspective. You bring up two words that I love. I want to highlight failure and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how we even define that as it relates to relationship. Yes. I, I hear so many people ask me, um, what was I, t- I was on the podcast quit talk and they were like, how do you, I know I love them too. They're fucking hilarious. 
And they asked me, you know, if I've had a successful relationship, non-traditional relationship. And I was like, let's define what successful means. Because Mm -hmm. for me, each of the relationships that were non-traditional, even though they ended the form that it had been, it's been more of a transition into friendship or into a less emotionally um, invested relationship. And to me, that's successful. It just isn't how, you know, people define relationship as Mm -hmm. usually. I love this conversation. I mean, normally people look at like divorce or cheating or, you know, whatever, just a a split as like a failure. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Okay, so the 20 happy years and the three children and the, you know, home built or, you know, the charity founded, like whatever it is that a family does or builds, like that's not a success. Um, I, I, I love examining the idea of like a relationship failure or a success because you're right, we get to define that for ourselves. Um, but I think we, well, we... Society, like mononormativity really has us look at like till death do us part. This is like the only, (laughs) this is the only thing you could call success. And that's just, it's nearly impossible when you look at statistics. And um, I mean, my perspective is that non-monogamy actually makes that a lot more possible with sort of the primary partnership set up. If that's your goal, right? Like, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. And this types of these, you know, the way that we talk about, uh, relationships as, you know, finding what, what is most authentic and aligned with you and the people that are involved in what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this just made me think of something really funny, but like, I just went on a trip to Iceland. Well, I, I went a couple places like all through Europe after that, but I was in Iceland with my two best friends And I was like, I really need to get some strange, like it had been a while since I had hooked up with a guy and I just wanted that like vacation fling. Mm -hmm. And I hooked up with this hot Turkish man Mm -hmm. um, and like never spoke to him again. And that was a massive success for me, like big success, (laughs) like stamp of success because that's exactly what I wanted, you know? Um, Even like... You know, I've had I've had really pretty bad and toxic relationships before that now I'm like huge success. Like the one right before I met my husband, I bought a home with this guy and I learned so much about myself in the relationship, all the things that I didn't want mm-hmm. in my future. And I look at that and I'm like, big success. Like had I not learned those things, I would not be where I am today, even just like the financial success of like having someone to purchase a home with at Mm. that time. You know, I was only 26 and I couldn't have done it alone. Um, And then I kept the home and bought him out of the house. And so in in like the way that I was looking at it, this really set me up for my future financially, massive success. You know, did I pay for it in an emotional way that I learned a ton from? Sure. Also big success Mm -hmm. the way I can see it now. 
Yeah. Yeah. So here you're describing success as one, um, being able to meet a goal that you initially set out with. And then the other one is more of, um, what qualities or lessons did I learn from the relationship? Did I acquire from the relationship to evolve and, and integrate into my coming relationships? Yeah, exactly. It like goes back to you saying, what needs do I need met right now? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't even realize that that's the need, um, that I need to grow in this area because we generally don't, I well, when I was younger, I didn't see it. Now I'm like, oh, this is coming up. This is coming in my future. Um, sort of this growth or this like chapter, but yeah, I think it comes down to like, what needs am I meeting? Exactly. As you said, Mm -hmm. especially when we think of ourselves as dynamic people or dynamic creatures, really, you know, we fluctuate, we change, we have different needs, we have different availabilities and how do we, how do we adapt to that? Or how do we flex with that versus how are we trying to fit everything into a rigid, uh, you know, wall of what we expect our life or our love or our availability to look like. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And you and your husband have been married for 10 years. Yeah. Well, we, we haven't been married for 10. Oh. We've been married for like eight and some change, like eight years and four months, but we've known each other for 10 uh-huh. been together for like the majority of that time. Yeah. The first year was like, very casual, but very much in love early on. But we were both trying to like not be in a relationship. I had just gotten out <laughs> of the one that I was describing, which was very bad and very traumatic. And I had never been single. I was like a serial monogamist uh-huh. um, up until that point. And I really wanted to have a hoe phase. I was like, mm-hmm. I just need to be single. I've not really experienced life or men, you know, I had like my high school boyfriend, my college boyfriend, and then the the guy um, that I was with for a couple of years right before my husband. So I was like, I don't want a relationship. He came on super strong. And then I was like, eh. And then he was like, okay, fine. And then I was like, oh, wait, I have feelings like six months later. And he was like, well, I want to be single now. And I was like, oh, this is shitty. Um, So we did this like really cute dance for maybe like nine months or 10 months or something. And then we just, and then we were together. Then I was like dating someone else. He wrote me a love letter. It was so dramatic. And I broke up with the other guy and he moved in. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. Um, you know, some of the best relationships of friends or even some of my friends who are, um, relationship experts, relationship coaches, or even written books about love. I see that their relationships are not the linear, uh, perfectly uh, skilled. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to best to describe that, uh, relationships, but that they take left turns and they take, uh, roundabouts and they go away and then they come back or they, you know, there's, it's, I hear over and over podcasts or books that are like, here's to how to have a, an emotionally intelligent relationship, or here's, you know, um, here's the guidelines for healthy boundaries. And yet we can do so, so well in that, but then we also get in these twirly relationships or sometimes even trauma bonding. And then sometimes they heal and sometimes they become, you know, triple star gold relationships (laughs) afterwards. So now at this point, I'm like, I am a relationship expert and, I can't even tell you 
that you need to, if he does this, get the fuck out because it's like, it's more about learning how to love each other. Yeah. (laughs) What we need, how to love rather than hard, fast rules. (laughs) Yeah. I think ours was 100% a trauma bond, um, in the beginning. And I went from being like very emotionally and sexually, um, starved and repressed in this relationship that I was with previous to him. Um, not the guy that I dated like very briefly that, (laughs) you know, uh, I broke up with to then move in with Pasha. Um, but to Pasha, that was like this super secretive, like there was one of our friends who sort of introduced us as friends, but was like, you can't date because he's going to hurt you. And it was like a forbidden thing, which made it so much hotter mm-hmm. and sexier from like the jump. So there was like that, it was like a secret. And then the sex was like the complete opposite of what I had not even had, you know, I wasn't even having sex with my ex and it was just like really hot and heavy and, you know, violent, and like amazing in all the best ways. Um, <laughs> how was, how was violent in the best way? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like a lot of impact play. Um, consensual. Like, so consensual, consensual violence. Kind of, yeah. Consensual <laughs> violence, which apparently is my thing. Um, which I didn't very know. Very kinky. Until, yeah. Very kinky. Um, and then there was a ton of back and forth and lots of, um, not good, healthy conversations around boundaries, like pretending that I was okay with him. And I think he was doing the same thing, pretending he was okay. It was like such a crazy, not seemingly healthy on the outside situation, but there was Mm -hmm. so much love, like from the moment that we connected, um, and we grew a ton in that year for each other. And that was the best because it was like, I want to show up for you. I'm not going to do everything right. And then we were just like, okay, let's do this. Like, you're my person. And when he moved in, we just knew there was like, this is it. There are no two ways about it. And so let's create a relationship where we both feel sort of fully expressed and free. And we never talked about non-monogamy. It wasn't like that's how we entered in. But I think the foundation of our relationship was I didn't want to feel caged. Mm. He also like loves to just know that he can express himself however he wants and be himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were like, okay, whatever our life looks like, we're going to do it together. Mm. That reminds me. So I really want to, I want to magnetize or magnetize, um, magnify (laughs) this exact conversation that you're sharing. But one piece that really stands out for me, uh, there's a book called open deeply by Kate Laurie. She's Mm. a dear colleague of mine, therapist colleague, uh, who specializes in in non-traditional relationships. And she suggested that beyond the five love languages, she invites three more, especially as it relates to non-traditional relationships. And one of those is adventure, mm. carefree, fun, and freedom. Mm. Wow. So I love this because I just ordered her book. I don't even know. Maybe I heard about, I don't know. Probably from me. About her, probably. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, everything starts to blur together. I listen to so many, so many sex experts. <laughs> Where did I hear about this? And it's on my bedside table, but I haven't opened it yet. So now I'm really excited to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Just from your conversation, it sounds like the two of you were able to meet each other in those languages mm-hmm. um, that whether you were conscious of it or not conscious of it, you were feeding the love languages of each other 
yeah. uh, which probably contributed some to some of that. Very much so. I, it's interesting that you pointed that out because I've never realized it, but I think that the idea of being safe with each other mm-hmm. and being free at the same time was what, I mean, that's where we locked in. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew I was like, oh, I can be myself with this person and just completely grow into who I'm meant to be. And I'm safe to do that. I'm not going to be judged or abandoned. You know, this is like my home, but I can also really spread my wings. And that's always been sort of our, our thing, like our North Star, even when it's hard, because of course, like we're human. So there've been Mm -hmm. moments where, you know, he's like, you're changing and I don't recognize you, you know, Mm -hmm. we've had that. Or I'm like, your interests in the area you're growing in just, you know, sometimes are the opposite of like what I'm interested in. And so to be together now for like almost a decade, um, actually we just had the anniversary of our very first kiss last week. It's really, yay! yeah. So we are, it is over a decade. Um, and to grow into people now that understand like this is a choice. Love is a commitment. It's a verb, right? Mm-hmm. You know that like nothing is permanent. So even those seasons where things can get edgy, you know, I've grown spiritually in ways that he is like, like you're a bit too far from me at this point. Um, mm. But to know that like the tide always kind of swings back and we we grow together. Sometimes one of us is a little more speedy in one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but to like really wade into that like deep water and kind of like wade it out and like tread a little bit because, you know, if it's your person and if it's meant for you, things will sort of even out. There's always that balance, right? The scale like swings back and then we're like, oh, okay, thank God. This is amazing. You're here too now? Cool. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I really like it here. You know? <laughs> it's like, I thought you would. <laughs> you are so it, it's excited. It swings back if you are intentional about the action towards it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I see couples, and this is a quote, this can be applied to any relationship, true, too. You know, we do grow at different paces and and distance sometimes, um, like you were saying, but especially when you add in other people into the dynamic, one person may have some more shared interests or or passions that we do Mm. and that our partner doesn't share in, but still celebrates it in us. Mm. How have you and your partner, how have you and your husband uh, navigated that? Yeah. I mean, it's such a great question and I don't want my answer to sound super simple, but we just hold that space for each other. I think because we, for, for neither of us, there's a fear that like we're going to not be together. We have a lot of really, really big dreams and goals as partners, and we're always working towards that, right? We have this like beautiful vision for our lives, um, and we literally like write it out and we like hang it in our bedroom. Like this is our, what we're working towards. This is our like couple vision. And then so when we have these individual visions or relationships with other people, And this is different. So as I'm speaking, I'm thinking about people that are listening. You know, we have a primary partnership, which might be different than other people's, you know, versions of non-traditional relationship. But for us, this is why it works. So we have our common goal. 
And then anything else that we're into or any other partner that's going to like, you know, excite us or, you know, um, meet needs in different ways, we can celebrate it because we know that we still have our thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's not taking away. And as long as it's like really generative to our personal lives, which makes us like a better partner for each other or even our common goal, then we know that it's a healthy thing. The moment that something would feel like it's drawing energy out of our relationship, um, that would be like something to question, but neither of us have ever really experienced it because we we both really value freedom. It comes down to like um, wanting to be really kind with the other person and know that like we feel our best and we're most grateful for the other when we're like, I'm, I can be like totally myself, even if that's mm. with another person doing something that you are not interested at all in. And I think we have enough practice in it now to know that like, once we express that thing, we come back and we're so whole for the other person, um, as opposed to like feeling stifled and then that, how that like will come up in a relationship. Cause we've been there, you know, in working things out with each other. There've been times where we feel, okay, I'm a little like stifled in here. And then that can breed resentment or, um, yeah, just feelings of like that caged feeling. Right. And then you're, and then you go into like a more of a trauma response or, you know, you're in your, I get in my shit and I get really feisty. If I'm just wanting to use like plain language, that's what happens when I feel like I can't do the things that I want to do or be who I am. Um, and that's what does that look like for you? Yeah. What does that look like for you when you're stifled or, um, I get short, um, and cold. Um, what contributes to you being stifled? Like, how do you get to that point where you feel that, um, what sort of things are going on? If I feel like there's a judgment on Mm. um, the things that I want to do or a cap or like a limit on, Mm um, yeah, just like the things that I want to do or share with the world, like, oh, you know, you're you're doing a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think of like an an actual example that I can share. Um, Well, I'll take it back to the spirituality thing. Um, because there was a point in time where I was really diving headfirst into a lot of plant medicine, which my husband introduced me to. (laughs) I wouldn't be, you know, working with it if it wasn't for him. And it wasn't that he was against it. It was that it became such a big part of my life and my learning. And it was very big spiritual study for me. Um, and I felt very called to be on this accelerated path with um, ayahuasca and Mm -hmm. coaching. And I had zero time for anything else, including him, you know? So I think this was born out of a feeling of neglect for him, but it was one of the first times in our relationship where we ever had a conversation around, we were really growing apart and like shit, you know, and having that moment, I think we were maybe together for five years at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, having that moment of like, oh, what does that mean? Like, it was a little bit of a wake up call for me. Like, I felt like he had tapped on my shoulder and been like, hey, like, I need to talk to you about something. Mm -hmm. And um, I can say that I was grateful that he was honest and shared it. But at the time, my sort of 
instinctual knee-jerk reaction was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to accept me because I want to do this. And I went into like a defense attack mode, which is sort of one of my um, responses, one of my trauma responses. And then it was like anything that he said, I saw as um, an attack on me or my person, my personality. And so I got super feisty and we had a really rough six months of me sort of reeling against what felt like rules and limitations And he was really just like, I miss connecting with you and I can't connect with you in this space that you're in because you are really up here. Um, Yeah. And I can see that now that that's what he was saying. But at the time, it sounded very much like, I don't like this version of you and I don't want to be married to somebody like this. Uh And I was like, oh, you know, so even though our souls are probably saying something very different, what we're communicating with our limited language and our, both of us in a a response of like him feeling, you know, maybe these fears of abandonment, she's going to like leave me for this life and me feeling very stifled, um, made a really interesting and challenging point in our lives. But then I was mentioning earlier, like really understanding that like nothing is permanent Mm. And right, everything like balanced back out. Like I had this major growth spurt in this area and he was having one in career at mm-hmm. the time and, and also in, in different areas of our lives. Like he was also exploring a lot more non-monogamy at that point. And I was like on a spiritual path, which meant I was also like dieting a lot and like being celibate for different, you know, ceremonies. And so we both were like kind of running in opposite directions. Yeah. Um, but when you can see it for what it is, just like these growth spurts, like we have a physical one and then it will plateau. When we came back together, we actually had so much exciting stuff to share mm-hmm. because we were both so new. And yes, that's scary, but it's also really exciting and something that we both like love, right? The freedom and the nuance. And we were like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater over here. Like, I don't know if I want to be with this person. And it's like, oh my God, it's like dating a whole new person. Um, And being really excited for the other person um, once we, because we did start to go to therapy then. Yeah. Um, And it was like so helpful to have an objective person who can, help us see that what we were doing was completely normal and natural. And thank God, because can you imagine being married to the same exact person for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life? Like that sounds terrible in a lot of ways. Yeah. It sounds terrible to me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So really understand the same version of ourselves even. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm now I'm rambling a little bit, but I hope I answered your question of like what it exactly looks like. No, this is so good. Yeah. There's an interesting, have you read the book, uh, women who run with wolves? Yeah. Yeah. She talks about in one of the, one of the, um, tales about this, this concept of the death cycles Mm -hmm. and how, how about even in the same relationship, we can have many death cycles Mm -hmm. or in a person's life, we can have many death cycles, meaning the death of specific versions of ourselves or versions of the relationship or qualities of the relationship, or even how we, we communicate. And then we have to die 
or those parts have to die in order for us to re- be reborn in the next version of ourselves, which is, yeah. you know, more evolved, more expanded. And then, and then we learn how to have, be in relationship in these new versions of ourselves, which totally blew my mind. And so how many times do we have these death and reverse rebirth cycles in a relationship? You know, these, we can be in like 10 different relationships with, but within the same person over a lifetime. Which is like so exciting. It's very scary when you haven't, I think, fully experienced it deeply once and can Mm -hmm. like look back and know, okay, this is safe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at this point I feel like we've had two in our marriage. Um, like our marriage actually just had like a Saturn return last year, which was really hard. Like a which very is hard like time. dark night of the soul, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting because it came around the time that I was being ushered into more motherhood mm. and more confidence in my, in myself as a woman and my work in the world. Um, and yeah, we really feel like our marriage was like before and like after, and they're very Mm -hmm. different. Um, it's like a very adult, uh, bond now, Mm -hmm. which I really love. Like there's Mm. so much radical honesty, not that there wasn't before, but I think with ourselves too, and then bringing that to the table. Um, Yeah. It's amazing. Which is really, I think, a major quality that makes these types of relationships work or or really any relationship work. But this idea of how can we uh, be flexible and be authentic and honor the natural um, ebbs and flows of us as humans and the changes of how much we're available and how much, what are our changes of needs and how do we adapt and form the relationship around that versus the illusion that a relationship is going to look like, or we're going to look like the same across, you know, decades of a relationship. It's just not possible. It's not. Yeah. 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 This is a very real and raw authentic and vulnerable share that you're giving us of what just a a modern day relationship looks like and how to make it, how to make it work in a way that meets you both. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's like the, how we get balanced in a relationship, you know, isn't about same, same, like I have this specific need and you have, you get the same, or I'm dating five people. So then that means that I have to date five people. Right. Right. (laughs) No, <laughs> not quite, quite balanced then. I, I remember when in my first foray, foray into this, um, year, God, like five, six years ago, I felt the pressure to date somebody just because my partner was dating somebody and he was so much faster about finding lovers and people to get into relationships. And I'm a lot slower. I'm like very, I take my time. I like building intimacy and connection first. I like, I'm very particular, like very discerning. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of pressure on myself that I did, that I put on myself to try to keep up, so to say, to be the perfect poly partner, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, um, how did you navigate that? Or what are some of the tips that, that you all have discovered over the years? Yeah, it's interesting. We've had a similarity in what you're describing as you first got into it. Um, 
I needed intimacy and connection and a slow burn. Um, and my husband was way more into uh, more casual, you know, encounters, like maybe vacation, maybe a couple dates, or maybe sort of even just like hookups. And he didn't really want to develop relationships. Um, mm -hmm. He was much more like, this is my outlet and mm -hmm. I have a ton of responsibility in my life and my commitment and my connection is to you. Um, and I was like, I'm going to date the same person for three years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and maybe it wasn't like even really dating and like, um, there was love there for sure, but I don't think we recognized it until later. Um, and I need, that's like what I needed to be really fulfilled. And so in the very beginning, it was interesting because we were both brand new to non-monogamy. We had no resources. It, it happened for us by accident. We didn't like choose, we didn't choose this life. This life chose us. Um, truth be told though, we like had an accidental threesome and then just sort of kept dipping our toe into different things. Um, it was never a conversation of like, let's open our marriage. We just, mm -hmm. it just happened. Mm. So I think in the very beginning, it was harder for me to understand that like, that's his style and preference and it's okay. Um, and it was because I had a problem with casual sex and I had like a very low sexual or I had low self-confidence period when we met and got married. I literally didn't own my sexuality as a woman until like two years into our marriage. And like, it was really born out of the safety and security with him to then go and explore. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always a bit resistant to his style, um, but, but also okay with it. And also knowing that like, this was growth for me. It had me look at my feelings of like not enoughness because he had a lot more partners than me in the beginning. Um, but then I was also like, I don't want that. You know, this yeah. is like what I want. And for him, it was edgy to see me develop relationships with people, mm -hmm. right? You know, that activated his fear of abandonment. Sure. But for both of us, we were like personal development junkies, still are. We were both mm -hmm. deep into that kind of work, both coaching. Um, so we were like, this is a lot of growth for us and we're here for it. We weren't like, oh, we can't do it because I was like, I don't like it and I'm going to look at why. So mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that we started sort of that path with each other right before we got into like, you know, our first sort of sexual adventure and play. Um, because without that foundation, I think it would have been really hard for us to like sure. see these differences, not just for like what they were, differences in preferences, but, mm -hmm. you know, all wrapped up in this like, um, monogamy culture that we were both born into. Mm -hmm. It was just like a ton of questioning. And so I'm happy that we like looked at everything through a personal development lens. Cause we were like, okay, I don't like it, but we're still going to do it because it's helping me grow. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece. Um, and it's, How do you I was going to say, cause as we've gotten older, we've like completely shifted. Now I'm like, I don't have time for anything but casual usually. Yeah. Um, and my preferences have changed and my wants and my desires are changing. And it's feeding a part of me that's very empowered to mm. have more of that. And he's slowed down and has been like, I feel comfortable having connection now. Wow. And so it's like completely flip-flopped. 
<laughs> wow. That's, that's so, that's so enlightening. I love that description here. And when you think about some of these really hard challenges, uh, how would you say, or what are some of the things that you would say help with the discernment of staying in the relationship versus it's time to part or transition out? Mm. That's a very great question. I feel like contrary to a lot, I think a lot of people who don't have experience with these types of relationships, right. Um, think that these are relationships sort of shattering situations, but they've actually never been for us. The two times that we've gone to therapy, I mean, and we've stayed in therapy now for two years because we're like, this is so silly to not be in therapy. Amen. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're not for anything to do with non-monogamy. So if I'm being honest, we've never had something that was like, oh, this is going to sort of break us up. Um, and I think it it's in part because we're both really intentional about the other partners we choose. Um, We're never going to entertain other partners that are not really on board with Mm non-monogamy and the container that we're already in who know that like, this is my partner. Um, And so I've never come against something that feels like a relationship sort of altering or shattering um, outside partnership or even internal partnership because they're always very generative, even if like they never meet, um, my partners. So, um, I feel like I'm not a great person for that question because I've never had it. We've Mm. always had really great other partners. And the moment that I'm like, oh, this person thinks there's something wrong with my marriage and that's why I want to sleep with them. I'm like, no, because I know that I'm like very solid and strong-minded, um, but other people have really powerful energy. Mm-hmm. And yes. Invite that in. And it's also just feels out of alignment for me. I'm like, no, you want to meet my husband. Let's have a threesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, but I think for other people, just like in my experience and working with a lot of, um, working with a lot of other clients and people who are, who do come up against these, maybe they've been in relationship for a really long time. And they're like, the, the connection between us is lost. Um, I, we always check in with that. And when we were younger, we wouldn't really play with other people unless we felt like our connection was in a really solid place. Um, so that neither of us were ever doing it out of like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm not a hundred percent with you. So I'm going to go do this to sort of feed the need that I want met from you, mm-hmm. which is kind of a tricky thing because as I feel like people who are non, you know, into non-monogamy or practicing like non-monogamy or polyamory, we're like, oh, we get our needs met from different places. It's important to notice if you actually want a need met from your partner, that, that you're going to go get it met somewhere else because I think that can also breed resentment and that can lead to something mm. that feels like, oh, we shouldn't be together. So it's important to notice, like, do you want all these sexual desires met from your partner that you're currently with? Or do you want them all met from one person and for these to be sort of supplemental to really understand, like, what you want? Um, 
I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I think that a lot of times we'll have people feeling like, oh, this partnership isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. So I need to leave it. And that's really unfortunate because a lot of times people leave really incredible partnerships when they can simply look at the whole picture or the Mm -hmm. whole plate and say like, I can get my spinach over here and still feel really delighted and connected and fulfilled by this partner that I have been with or that was with before. I think the the time that you can look at it and as you said, like use discernment of when a partnership might be finished or closing for me would be when two people don't have the same goals or the mm. same sort of vision for the relationship and have like a really common or, you know, a really solid understanding of like, here's how you feel loved for me, how I feel loved from you, how we're going to show up for each other. And this is like what we work towards together. So I feel like when you don't have that and, you know, sometimes people lose it and you can get it back. Beautiful. But if there's a place where you're like, we just want really different things and we're not going to play a big role in meeting each other's needs any longer then that's the time to think about ending a container because you can cause a lot more harm, right, than good in like dragging something like that on. Yeah, yeah, that makes some really good points there. And I think it comes back to what you've been sharing this entire time is the work that you have have done to really get to know yourself, to know what these internal processes are, what we may be projecting, what we may be misinterpreting, um, so that we can untangle our emotions and, and like you said, zoom out and look at it totality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The Thanks moment was question. <laughs> I had to answer something like that in a long time. And it was really fun to actually think through. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. I'm very thoughtful. Yeah. There's a question I get often from, from client, either clients that I'm working with or friends who come to me who are exploring or curious about exploring, but they're afraid that, uh, you know, one person is going to fall in love or if they allow this openness, if somebody falls in love, then they will end that relationship in order to preserve the the primary relationship or the, uh, I'll use the word initial relationship. Mm-hmm. And in just hearing your story between your, the beginning of your relationship, I wondered if, um, did you have any rules around that or did you, how did you navigate falling in love? Yeah. It's interesting. The first time I ever thought I got nervous thinking I was going to have feelings for this guy. It was the first time I had really experienced NRE. We were new relationship energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my husband could see it. And I was like seeing this guy in LA. It was like, we had just moved here. Um, I was still like doing the actor thing. And I got really nervous and he noticed it. And he so fucking incredible. He had like the, the care and like the foresight to be like, you know, it's, it's okay to have feelings for this person. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to happen. And I Mm -hmm. was like, it can't, what does that mean? This is supposed to be just sex. Um, and so my husband was amazing in that and like creating that space for me and letting me know that it was okay. Um, but it was a really delicate balance because 
I had never experienced that before inside of another relationship. Or maybe I had one time in college and I sort of had an emotional relationship with another guy mm-hmm. um, that was not not great, not smart, that I didn't share with my sure. long-distance boyfriend. Um, but I sort of went really slow and... I don't know what I would have done if the shoe was on the other foot because he was very much having these more casual encounters that wouldn't carry on anywhere. So I don't know how I would have felt being the one to sort of experience that from the sidelines and seeing it happen with Mm -hmm. him. Um, But I went really slow into it. And as nature would have it, like NRE is so real but it wears off. Like that shit wears off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like amazing when you're in it and like, this is never going to end. But just like every other relationship that you have, like it goes away. It's like an, it's a chemical reaction that will naturally fizzle out. Um, and so like, that's the beauty of it because then the more practiced I got in it, I was like, oh yeah, this time ends. So I'm going to really be in it and be present to it and relish in it. And mm-hmm. so we were got to a place where, you know, watching each other experience it has been really fun. And mm-hmm. by the time he got to the first person that he was like, I was like, oh shit, they're going to fall in love. I was like so excited because I was like, I really wanted to see it. You know, yeah. it's like getting to watch what it looked like with me and him from the sidelines. Yeah. It was amazing and really exciting. Yeah. Like a tiny little bit of fear there. Because people always ask me, right? Well, like, what if they want to leave? And I'm like, that's the thing about polyamory. We don't leave. Like, we get to have both and mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's really fun once you can develop that, like, beautiful conversation with NRE or limerence um, mm-hmm. and all that, like, exciting time at the beginning because you never really get it back. Mm-hmm. The beauty of, like, why I love non-monogamy and these like non-traditional relationships is because you can have that a ton in your life. And that's like one of the most beautiful things in life that we ever experience, I think, is this NRE or falling in love. And um, my my partner, Lauren, who I still call my partner, she's my, we built a business together and we were in a relationship. We're still in a relationship, but we were in an intimate romantic relationship for years Um, And the three of us had a relationship and then it sort of just became the two of us women. And we've transitioned now to, you know, like a, a less romantic relationship. And now I'm like, I can't wait to watch her fall in love with somebody else. <laughs> like, mm, I'm just like over yeah. here, like so ready for it. I'm just like, yeah. somebody get me a cat because I need one on my lap. I'm <laughs> so excited for like the moment I get to watch her fall in love because Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be in love with her. I know what Mm -hmm. it's like to have a breakup experience with her um, and was really hard, but also one of, I think the peak beautiful experiences of my life was having a heartbreak with this woman years Mm -hmm. ago. And then we like, and then it was like 10 days and we were back together and like nothing. But Um, one of the things I love about non-monogamy is it's taught me to relish in really uncomfortable emotions and find the beauty in them and like exhaust them. And the, the knowingness that like no feeling lasts forever if you process it and that like, holy shit, these, 
these waves of emotions, sure, they're unpleasant Mm -hmm. in the time, but to like be fully expressed on like both ends of the spectrum is incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, it's actually like such a high, you know, I don't like look for it. I'm not like waiting. I don't want to get my heart broken again, but um, to like, look back and be like, wow, you know, it's like that when you go to like a crazy breathwork session or you have a, a ceremony, it's happened for me way more in breathwork. And you just like have that huge exhale at the end. And you're like, that sucked, but it feels so good now. Yeah. I think that's what it's like to have. Yeah. yeah. And even as you're telling the story, I'm extrapolating these qualities that, you know, for, for our listeners to really see, these are examples of emotional t- intelligence. These are examples of um, distress tolerance, being able to be with the hardness of, of, the emotions, you know, finding the joy in, in other, in your partner's joy, the compersion, the Mm. celebration of their joy and their falling love and attunement. He was attuning to you and reading you non-verbally and verbally around this experience of falling in love with this guy to be able to bring to your attention or initiate those tough conversations around, around love. Like I see those as all really important to, to aid in more easeful progression and sustainability of these types of relationships. Yeah. They don't have to be there, but it certainly does help. Yeah. We have like, thank you. I appreciate that. I tooting our own horn, my own horn, I guess, you know, for, for that, just to feel like sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'm like a really boring polyamorous person because everyone's like tell me about the struggle and I'm like it was so great we have none like of course (laughs) we've had them but I'm so grateful that I had a foundation of personal development and EQ work because it's led to such a really graceful experience in our relationship and I always tell people like if you can look at your relationship as a vehicle for growth and not this like fairy tale that you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve, you will be a lot happier and happier <laughs> in it. And that's the way I think we've always seen ours yeah. um, as like this alive thing that's always evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like the beauty in it. And and that there's no rush. Those are like my two things. Like when I'm like coaching people, I'm like, it's, it's just emotional intelligence work. So that's what we're going to do. And like, you know, the sexy fun times are sprinkled on top (laughs) and then like slow down because, you know, you have the rest of your life to explore and to give all the stuff breathing room. Mm. Oof. Ooh. Highlight, write that down in your journal, highlight that shit, patience, slowing down. It's not a race. It's there's no rush. Love the enthusiasm. You don't have to go through all the fucking threesomes, foursomes, orgy, um, triple penetration all in one evening. You can take your time with this. Yeah. (laughs) Next bucket list, slow down the sex bucket. (laughs) Yes. Wow. So this is amazing, Jessica. And I could go on forever with you. You're open late, but this podcast only lasts about an hour at max. And then we close. So (laughs) where can people find you? Where can they find these golden nuggets from you? Yeah. I mean, the best, one of the best places is Instagram. Um, I hang out on there. I'm the person in the DMs. Um, So it's openly the podcast. And it's hilarious. 
follow yeah. it. It's so funny. I die. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And just the website is openlypodcast.com and you can find us wherever you listen, you know, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all the places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was great. I will see you very soon. You don't have to stalk me anymore because we're friends now. So yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here. I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.